If you are pregnant or if you just had a baby during the coronavirus pandemic, then this episode is for you. Today we'll be talking about stress during pregnancy. It's an important one, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to episode 18 of the Curious Neuron Podcast. Welcome to the Curious Neuron Podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm the founder and your host. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Learn with us by visiting our website at CuriousNeuron.com. Join us on Instagram or Facebook. Join our courses, our live webinars, or our weekly family meetings on Monday nights. Send in your comments or questions at info at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. I am glad that you are here with me today. Um, Today is really uh, an important episode because we are talking about stress during pregnancy. And one of the things that, you know, is coming up a lot now with this pandemic is stress. Stress in parents, um, stress in mothers uh, who are experiencing a different workload right now if they are homeschooling their kids as well. And stress during pregnancy, which is why I wanted to address it. This topic might be a little bit scary um, to some of you, especially if you just got pregnant or you are pregnant. Um, but I want you to know that it is important for you to listen to this episode all the way to the end because at the beginning of this episode, we will talk about, you know, what the research suggests, you know, what the outcome has been in some parents who had high levels of stress. However, Dr. King, who's our guest today, she will outline beautifully at the end what we can do to sort of lessen the impact of stress during pregnancy and what we can do during pregnancy to lessen the levels of anxiety that we might have or stress. So this to me is one of the most important um, episodes so far because of the topic that we're covering. Before we begin the interview, I just wanted to share something that happened um, this week in our home because I think it's an important lesson. So one of my kids had, you know, some big emotions around um, having been told no for something. And I've learned through one of the accounts that I follow on Instagram called Our Mama Village. And Jessie, who who runs this account and also has a a website and some courses, she shared um, a piece of advice a few months ago and I've been implementing it and it helps a lot. Basically, one of my kids wanted um, to watch TV right before going to bed, but in our home, it's not something that we do. We watch TV usually uh, at some point in the morning and then my kids will get some time once or twice a week while my baby sleeps to watch something a bit longer um, in the afternoon. So we watch on average around, I would say, three to four hours of TV in a week. Um, We cut it up in little bits and pieces. We watch TV on alternative days. So we have certain rules around screen time here in our home. But um, my kids really enjoy the Mickey Mouse show. One of them wanted to watch it before going to bed. Now, me saying no led to a really big outburst and lots of big emotions. And nothing I was saying was calming my child down. So I applied what I learned through Our Mama Village. And this was to talk about it in the future. So I I told my son, you know, you can watch this tomorrow, but of course that won't work. So what I said is, what episode do you want to watch tomorrow? He just started taking deep breaths to speak because he wanted to tell me which episode. So he said, I'd like to watch the one with the haunted house. I said, oh yeah, I remember that one. That was a really fun one. What happens in that episode? And then he continued to talk about it, which led to him distancing himself from those big emotions from him being told no. And that really helped calm him down. And then I looked at him and I said, I can't wait for you to watch this episode tomorrow morning. I think it'll be lots of fun and we're going to watch it together. But right now it's bedtime. Again, he started getting upset a bit. And then I had to remind him, you know, but tomorrow you're really going to have a lot of fun watching this episode. While we take your shower, can you talk to me about this episode a little bit more? 
just so that I was able to keep his mind off of it for a little bit longer and also so that he can talk about it and and just get excited about what he'll do tomorrow. So this is just a little bit of advice that I've learned that helps in our home. I hope it could help in your home as well. If you are enjoying the Kirsten on podcast, please take a moment to go into the review section, rate it on five stars, however you wish, (laughs) and please leave a review. This helps a lot uh, in terms of understanding if you are enjoying it. If you'd like to learn more with us, we have many different ways to help you. There's our blog at kirsneron.com. Every single Monday night at 8.30 p.m. in Eastern Time, we get together on a Zoom call and we chat about different topics. Sometimes I have a special guest. Um, This past week, we spoke about character skills and how to build these character skills. Every single um, webinar, which is anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes, is up on my website, but available to the members. So we have a new membership that we launched uh, about a month ago. And you can access all of this through our website or you can visit patreon.com slash Curious Neuron. If you'd like to become a member, we have different prices from $1, $5, and $10 a month. My guest today is Dr. Susan King, who's a researcher here in Montreal at McGill University. She studies uh, maternal stress in utero as the result of natural disasters. So in her longitudinal studies, she has really looked at a wide range of of outcomes on a child's development and this is why i really wanted to speak with her she is currently running three studies of children exposed to natural disasters in utero in order to understand the nature and the mechanisms of effects of prenatal stress i hope you enjoy my talk today and like i said please listen till the end because we do offer lots of advice for new moms Dr. Susan King is here with me today uh, to talk to us about stress during pregnancy. And I've received so many emails from from mothers who have been going through very difficult times right now during COVID. And I thought that it would be um, relevant to have this discussion. And, you know, the information we're going to talk about, you know, is is from her research. She's been researching this topic for many, many years and many different natural disasters. So we're going to learn a lot from her. Thank you so much, Dr. King, for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on. Today, I guess before we begin, I always like to bring it down to a level where we can all understand each other. So when we talk about stress, how would you define this um, stress during pregnancy? Sure. So as people probably know, when when people use the word stress, they mean so many different things. They might Mm -hmm. mean that they're under time pressure. They might mean that they're feeling anxious. So when when I've been doing my research, uh, which has always been for the last 22 years on women who are pregnant during natural disasters. So we try to capture their stress experience. So I try to break that down into three primary um, things that are happening inside the mom. The, The first is objectively what's happening to her. So during the 1998 ice storm here in Quebec, Uh, I looked at, um, you know, I asked questions about objectively, you know, what are the facts about what happened to the mother? What were her levels of loss? What was her level of threat? Or how much change did she go through? And how long did it last? What was the scope? So I would ask things like, um, was she injured from the ice storm? Uh, How much financial loss was there? How many different uh, houses did they move to during during the ice storm? And then also, how long did it last? How long was their power outage for? And then we put that all together and uh, come up with a score on their objective hardship. Then the next thing that we look at is the, the woman's cognitive appraisal of what happened. So we asked the women from Project Ice Storm, you know, if you think about all the consequences of the ice storm on you and your family, would you say that the consequences were very negative, negative, neutral, positive, or very positive? And surprisingly, even though in Project Ice Storm, the women were without electricity on average 14 days, and some women as long as 45 days in the middle of winter, um, about half the women said that it was a a positive experience. So they were without electricity, maybe they were living with their in-laws, and they were, you know, because they didn't have electricity, they would be telling stories and, Mm. you know, telling jokes and playing things (laughs) like that. So... Right, so we've got the objective hardship, then we've got their cognitive appraisal of what's happening to them, and then we've got their subjective distress. So how upset were the women about the disaster? 
Mm-hmm. For that, we, we tend to look at things like post-traumatic stress uh, kinds of, of symptoms. Okay. So, so that's kind of the model that we, that we study. So mm-hmm. objective hardship, cognitive appraisal, subjective distress, and it's probably that subjective distress that triggers the release of the stress hormones uh, in, the, in the woman, in the pregnant mother, uh, that can then go through the placenta and alter the uh, development of the fetus. The subjective part is the one that we have control over. That's right. And even the cognitive. So yes. maybe we, we can't control how many days we're without electricity during a, during a disaster, but there are, you know, psychologists work on helping people with their anxiety or the depression mm-hmm. by changing the way they think about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also there's our, our distress. Side. And just to give a layout in terms of what the, pro- what the ice storm was here in, in Quebec um, in 1998, it received a, a, a hailstorm or an ice, a, an ice storm here, and it resulted in a loss of power outage in, I think, how, I don't know how far, how vast it was, um, but we were, some people were left with, like you said, no power for up to 45 days. Right. Um, Yes. So there were five days. It was unprecedented. There were three different weather systems that moved through uh, that where the temperature was just slightly above freezing Mm -hmm. during the day. And we had five days of freezing rain and the weight of the ice on the high tension poles and all the the electrical lines was so great that it just toppled all of those big uh, um, high tension pylons that you see. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there were about... about 1.5 million households without electricity for mm. yeah, uh, up to 45 days. I remember I was lucky enough to be in a part of Montreal in a suburb that we lost power for two or three days, I think. It was more than that. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough to go to my grandparents' house who they had power and they had a stove. And so we, yeah. you know, we were safe in case anything happened. But unfortunately many people were not as lucky as that i think most people who were children at the time thought it was a great time yeah it was i don't think <laughs> that wonderful uh, uh recollection of the time i know that you 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 study different natural disasters now looking at the st- stress and the way that you study stress does this apply very similarly across these natural disasters are you seeing um very similar levels of stress, objective versus subjective, regardless of what type of natural disaster? So uh, it, it's difficult to compare the um, objective hardship across mm. uh, the different studies because we have to measure it, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we've got uh, three studies of floods and uh, one wildfire out in uh, Fort McMurray, Alberta in 2016. And I would say that the, the greatest level of subjective distress was from the Fort McMurray wildfires where people were, you know, running for their lives Mm. quite literally with, you know, walls of flames on either side and trying to recuperate their kids in the middle of a school day to get everybody out and trying to find their husbands who were away at the the oil camps and so on. So I, I would say that the Fort Mac had the greatest objective hardship. And, and second was really the ice storm. Mm. And what I see is common between those two is the fact that uh, the scope was so great. And what we mean by the scope is how long the situation lasted for people. So it was lasting for months and months after the fire where people were evacuated. Uh, um, so there's the duration, but then there's also the, the density of, or yeah, the density of the impact. So in Fort McMurray, everybody had to get out. So 88,000 people had to evacuate all at once. There was nobody who could really help you because everybody was in the same situation. Same with the ice storm. Even if you never lost power, the ice was everywhere. It disrupted everybody's lives. Mm. So um, Uh there are differences between between the different uh, disasters. Mm -hmm. And compared now, let's say, to COVID uh, with everything that's going on, it's it's something that is prolonged, um, I think, longer than any of us ever anticipated. Um, what, you know, what are you sort of anticipating a little bit, I guess, in, in terms of this natural disaster? Exactly. So if we just look at um, the kinds of things that we measure in terms of the objective hardship, so the amount of loss, for example, so many people have lost so much because they've lost their jobs, 
they've lost uh, income, even if they didn't lose their jobs, their, their income was reduced. In, in terms of change, everything has changed. Just going to the grocery store, just going for a walk around the block, um, everything about our lives has changed. And then the scope, you know, if you think of the duration, you know, we've been at this for six months, um, nonstop. Um, and also for the, for the, for the scope of it, um, it's worldwide. So mm. it's not like you can go somewhere unless you want to go to Nunavut or the South Pole. There's nowhere you can go to really get away from it. And then finally, the, the level of threat. Every day you hear how many people have died. You hear, you know, how many cases are there. Um, so there's a constant, constant um, communication about the threat. Mm -hmm. So... So I'm, I'm not terribly optimistic about um, what this is going to do to pregnant women and their unborn children. Mm. There is one ray of light, however, that is uh, a bit surprising, and it hasn't been completely confirmed, but there are a lot of anecdotal reports from different countries that have been looking at these data that since the pandemic, since the shutdown, the... Um, the rate of preterm birth has plummeted in Denmark, 70% fewer preterm births. In Ireland, 30 or 40% fewer preterm births. Wow. And one of the thoughts is that people are staying at home. Uh, there's less day-to-day -day stress of mm -hmm. going to catch the metro, mm -hmm. going, to, going to work. Um, that somehow this is... Uh, in some ways, reducing women's day-to-day -day routine stress. I don't know. And that was going to be one of my questions. So let's um, maybe define a little bit more what happens when we are stressed, uh, you know, to the brain and to our body. When we are stressed, there are there's an increase in cortisol in, in our, our, our brain. Whether or not you're pregnant, there is that increase in, in cortisol. And then the longer that that increase remains or how often that's happening, then that's when we're seeing some physical consequences or like some consequences to the brain as well. But now during pregnancy, um, you mentioned that it does go into the placenta. So it's the cortisol that goes into the placenta? Exactly. So okay. um, so the, the pregnant woman would re be releasing uh, cortisol if, if, uh, if she's under stress. Mm -hmm. she, but normally, inside in the placenta, there's an enzyme. Uh, it's called a barrier enzyme, 11-beta HSD2, which is an enzyme that would convert the mother's cortisol, which could be, um, in some ways, noxious to the fetus. Mm -hmm. It converts it into cortisone, which would be benign for the fetus. But during uh, instances of very high stress, uh, the mother has a lot of cortisol that wants to go through the placenta, that barrier enzyme can't uh, manage it and it's mm. less effective. And so then the cortisol will get through to the, to the fetus and alter uh, the, the fetus's brain, their uh, other aspects of their physiology. Does it matter at what point during the pregnancy this high stress occurs? It does. So in, in all of our studies, we've found that the, the timing that disaster began so your life is going on as normal and then all of a sudden there's a wildfire or mm -hmm. an ice storm or there's a flood um that sudden change the date of that sudden change and the point in pregnancy that that happens seems to be very important to determining which system in the fetus's physiology is being affected mm. So we've, we've found really that there's no good time to be stressed in pregnancy. Uh, we found across our studies that uh, being stressed in the third trimester, so if the disaster starts in the third trimester, that uh, this is a very critical time for motor development uh, of, uh, mm -hmm. of the child. And, and we've seen the, this effect of late pregnancy disaster onset uh, in children as young as five, uh, possibly younger, yes, even younger, um, and all the way to age 19. They're still wow. slightly um, delayed compared to, to their peers. Wow. The motor, for the motor skills, yeah. 
Wow. Um, we've found the effects of uh, early pregnancy on early pregnancy stress on some aspects of cognitive development, like mm -hmm. in, uh, especially at the age of eight years and younger. We were seeing that there was an effect. After that, it didn't make that much difference. In terms of delivery, um, a woman who uh, is stressed during pregnancy, have, uh, have you seen differences in terms of the delivery itself? Does it lead to more C-sections? Does it lead to an earlier delivery? So we, we predicted that um, the, the greater the stress, the, um, the shorter the pregnancy and the, the smaller the baby. We did mm. see that in Project Ice Storm, which, as I mentioned, was the, the second most stressful um, mm. event. What we saw was that uh, for women who were pregnant in their first or second trimesters at the time of the ice storm, that their babies were significantly lighter uh, and their pregnancies were shorter, but uh, by about uh, a week and a half or two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any severely preterm. Interestingly, in um, in the Australian flood, the the QF twenty eleven study, uh, there we found that well, we asked the mothers questions about how did their diet change during. Mm -hmm pregnancy because of the floods mm -hmm. um, and then we we rated their diet um, as either like a, a, a negative impact so eating more salty more sugary mm -hmm. things like that fewer proteins less uh, dairy or an improvement by more of the good things or the bad things and what we found was that the greater the mom's objective hardship from the flood um, the worse their diet. So you can imagine if they're stranded in their home and they can't get out, you know, that they're down to eating candy or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very, very healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then their diet influenced the size of the baby at birth. But what was really interesting about that was that, um, and, and we found this in the ice storm as well, uh, was that one of the patterns we see in the size of the baby at birth was a larger head circumference relative to the length of the baby. Oh. So it wasn't that their heads were any bigger. It's more that the head was a normal size, but the, the length was shorter. And mm. Something called head sparing or brain sparing. The idea that the, the placenta is a bit like a perceptual organ. So it perceives the mother's stress. It's perceiving that there's something bad happening outside. And it preserves the size of the head uh, and the development of the brain, mm -hmm. but at the expense of the length of the baby. The length. So Interesting. It's a stressful world out there. You've got to have a good brain, but you don't have to be tall. You don't have to mm -hmm. be tall. So um, this is actually a phenomenon that, that's, that's called a, a predictive adaptive response. Wow. Yeah, that the placenta perceives what's going on in the outside environment uh, and modifies the development of the fetus in ways to help ensure its immediate survival after, mm -hmm. um, even if it means that the long-term health is not going to be as, as good. Mm -hmm. so, That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. And is that where you see these motor delays because of this um, response? That's a great segue, but I, I don't know. <laughs> hard to figure why um, having a delayed motor development would be advantageous. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's some things that can model and other things that don't. But this whole idea of head sparing fits the model where the, the placenta may be, af be afraid. Um, the placenta might perceive that resources might end up being limited. So we're going to invest in the brain, but not in the brain. So this is interesting because then the next stage is really in, in, in infants um, where I think you had mentioned temperament uh, might be altered in terms of uh, in mothers who had high stress. Um, what if the if the body or the placenta is, is detecting the stress and sparing the brain, is it? Um, I'm, from the research, I, from your research, I'm assuming it's sparing the size and the development of it, but there still are consequences cognitively. So 
pretty much across the board, I can say that, um, yes, mm-hmm. others' stress, whether it's their objective or their cognitive or their subjective uh, distress, uh, does have some effects on the, on the temperament. So there were different areas now we can look at the children overall. Uh, you had looked at infants and two and a half year olds, I believe, and five year olds, and like you said, older. Um, so let, let's walk through that and to, to uh, maybe explain to parents what are, the, what are we seeing overall in children now? Yeah. So if we look at um, cognitive development, so you know what it would commonly be referred to as IQ. In Project Ice Storm and in the Iowa flood study, what we were seeing was that you know if the mother was pregnant in the first or second trimester uh, at the time of the onset of the disaster that those those children were very sensitive to the amount of stress that the mother had experienced uh, so for example in project ice storm when the kids were two years old um, we, we took those families we separated them into uh, low medium and high stress from the objective stress Um, questionnaire. Mm. We didn't have much money, so we only looked at the low stress and the high stress uh, kids. And we found that the the kids whose mothers had been uh, the longest without electricity, so the high, the high stress kids had um, 10 to 15 point lower IQ than the low stress kids. Mm. Um, And we found the same thing in terms of their language development that the, the high-stress kids um, were understanding and speaking mm. many fewer words than the low-stress kids. Mm. The interesting was that it made no difference whatsoever how distressed the mother had been from the ice storm. It was only, let's say, like the number of days without electricity was predicting wow. um, and language development. So regardless if she rated her own stress high or low, that didn't have an impact? Exactly. Wow. In that study, we were only looking at PTSD-like symptoms Mm -hmm. uh, as the subjective stress measure. Um, Okay. Didn't make a difference. Hmm. Then, when the kids were five uh, years of age, we we finally got our first grant in order to test the kids when they were five and a half. So now we had the the low, the medium, and the high stress, Mm -hmm. and we found that actually the kids that had medium stress had slightly better IQ and slightly better language development than the low stress kids. Wow. And the high stress kids were that much lower still. Mm. So the high stress was clearly bad, but mm. there needed to be some slight advantage to the mother um, having experienced some stress, kind of a medium level of stress. Mm. I, I'm placing myself in the shoes of somebody listening right now and they might say, okay, so High stress is bad, but how do they? How does a mother listening right now who might be expecting their a child? Is there anything that they can do right now to besides, you know, there are things like you said we don't have control over, uh, and that might still have an impact on the child and and the stress level. But in terms of what we do have control over, um, how can we? Is there anything we can do to rate our own stress? Well, I, I think everybody knows what their what their baseline is. You know, some people are just always anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. People are pretty calm most of the time. I think everybody has their own kind of barometer. Just maybe having more insight in terms of what is bringing the stress, perhaps. So I think there are things that, that we can do both to control some of the objective hardship that we're going through and the subjective stress and the cognitive appraisal that we do of Mm -hmm. current stressors from COVID, for example. Mm -hmm. So we can limit our objective hardship. Um, Remember, we we study the the threat, the loss, the scope, and the change. Mm -hmm. So one can try as much as possible to keep, uh, to limit the change. So try to keep daily routines the same, um, try to change as little as possible the diet, of course, eating very well if you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Just limit change as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not much that we can do about uh, the duration or the, you know, the scope. Um, in terms of threat, we can certainly limit threat. So a pregnant woman could limit her threat by just being very vigilant in terms mm-hmm. of hand washing and mask wearing and avoiding crowds. So mm-hmm. th- there's a huge literature on 
any kind of infection during pregnancy. Uh, it's not good for the mom, it's not good for the pregnancy, and it's not good for the fetus. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful just to avoid all kinds of infection. So you, you're right when you say there's not much that we can do about the objective hardship. Uh, in terms of the cognitive appraisal, though, uh, it is possible to surround yourself with the good news, with the, the heartwarming stories. If you look for them, they're out there. They are, yeah. <laughs> can you define cognitive appraisal a little bit more? Sure. So mm -hmm. it's, it's the way you think about a thing that's happening to you. So um, one could easily say, oh, my God, this, this coronavirus is terrible. I can't deal with this. It's too much. But it doesn't take that much to flip a switch and say, okay, this is a challenge, um, mm -hmm. but I can deal with it. If I look around me, you know, I still have a home. I still have a partner. Um, I've got people who love me. Um, and we've actually been doing a lot of analyses of our data from the, from the different studies and finding that um, women who they were going through disasters, uh, if, if they were able to keep a positive appraisal of what was happening, that their own um, PTSD symptoms, their own distress uh, was much less. Mm. And we do at times also see that that also protects uh, the fetus from some. Wow. So there is research showing that this has a positive impact on the fetus. Yes. Wow. I've heard of journaling, you know, uh, maybe I, I don't know enough about that area, but uh, maybe there are ways, like you said, for somebody who's going through this right now and who's pregnant to to gain a little bit more control because it's that lo that sense of loss of control, right? That just really, um, w whether there's uh, a pandemic or um, anything going on, that loss of control really spikes our stress levels. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I, I think there are other things that we can do as well in terms of limiting, limiting the intake of bad news. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the first couple of weeks after the lockdown, uh, we had the news on all day long. Yes. Nothing but bad news. It was nothing but, but scary stuff. Mm. Long. And I realized that my own uh, distress was increasing every day. Mm. And I was getting more and more tense across the shoulders and, and my neck. Mm. And finally, I just made the decision, nope, we're going to watch the news at noon and at six o'clock. And <laughs> yeah, that was enough. So th there are control to, you know, limit our distress. I think also part of the, maybe something that adds to stress uh, with what we're, we're experiencing now as well is we, we don't see the end yet. Um, so I think for some that I've spoken with, not being able to perceive that end date or knowing, you know, in a month or two months or we, we don't know. And that's kind of difficult, um, you know, especially for some older people or regardless of their ages, actually. So um, some things, like you said, I think in terms of the mindset or the, the appraisal of it and just maybe we don't see the positive part of that yet, but um, maybe just, <laughs> I don't know, not thinking of it, but not trying to um, because that could add a lot of stress as well. Yeah, Cindy, one thing that um, I've really been struck with um, over the past 20 years of looking at these data um, is the power of the objective hardship. The thing that mm. we can't control. Um, so in, in Project Ice Storm, like I said, these women were without electricity on average for 14 days and some as long as 45. And what I found over the years is that um, it's the objective hardship that the women went through. So like the number of days that they were without electricity, which they had absolutely no control over, that had the greatest effect on the, the physical development mm. of the unborn child, uh, whether it was um, their insulin secretion. when they So when the kids were 13, we did a, uh, an oral uh, glucose tolerance test. It was only the objective um, um, hardship that predicted that. Wow. Four days of electricity, um, higher insulin secretion, which kind of sets up a, 
um, the situation for diabetes and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also only the objective hardship that predicted uh, the immune function in the kids at 13. Um, so something called cytokines, which are like the chemical messengers of the immune system. Mm -hmm. uh, so the pro-inflammatory and, and the anti-inflammatory were only correlated with um, the objective exposure and, and also the cognitive appraisal. Um, the children- um, Meaning that their immune system was a little weaker? It's kind of It's something called a TH2 shift. Um, that so it's kind of the, the balance between the pro-inflammatory and the anti-inflammatory cytokines that um, could set the child up for being more vulnerable to asthma and allergy. Kind of. thing. Okay. But what we found was most striking was the effect of the objective hardship on the children's uh, body mass index, so their mm. obesity. So we saw this first when they were five years old and we measured the kids. Um, so the more days without electricity the mother was, the, the higher was the BMI in the child, the greater, the more likely they were to meet criteria for obesity. Uh, and every time we saw them, so at age 5, 8, 11, 13, 16, 19, uh, we measured them. And the older they got, the bigger the effect was. Not only the bigger the child was, but the bigger the effect. So we would have expected that the, the older the child, uh, the less of an effect something that happened during pregnancy would have been. Um, but in fact, for at least for obesity, uh, it was actually, the effect was getting larger. And is that entirely because of the stress during pregnancy or is the mother also carrying anxiety and stress throughout her current life? So every time we see the kid and measure the kid, we also measure the mother's uh, depression and anxiety and we control for that in our analyses. So, um, and, and of course, the, whether or not the mother is depressed one day doesn't influence um, our measurement, right? Mm. Um, and then the other thing is that it's the objective um, hardship from the ice storm and the mother's cognitive appraisal of the ice storm is either negative, neutral, or positive that influence something called uh, epigenetics, so mm. DNA methylation. Um, and then that DNA methylation seems to go on and influence some of these other um, traits in the child, like the insulin, the immune system, the BMI, things like that. Um, for those who have never heard the term of epigenetics, um, what, can you explain what that field of study is? Nothing you do can change uh, the DNA. Um, but there's these little things that stick on to the DNA called little methyl groups. And what they do is they turn on or they turn off the different genes. Um, so as an example, if you take a, a, a piano keyboard, there's nothing you can do to change the white and the black keys. They're just going to stay exactly where they are. Um, but you can play different notes, different music on that piano without changing the keys. But by just mm -hmm. changing which ones you play, whether you play them harder or softer. Um, so that's a bit what the epigenetic okay. So it can do um, minor changes to the, the, the traits of, of the child without actually changing their DNA. And this is environmental um, changes that cause these changes? Yes. So, and that environment is um, not only the, the, the pollution, for example, there are studies that show um, there's somebody in Toronto who has a machine, you, you can go in this big box and, and they, can, they can provide the uh, air just like in Beijing, Toronto, or the air in Bali or wherever. Mm-hmm. And they can show that there's an immediate change in uh, some of these epigenetic signals. Wow. So another of epigenetics is a musical score, like for Beethoven's Fifth, right? Um, everybody, every orchestra may play it a little bit differently. Um, and so some conductors may go through and put little marks and say, make this note stronger, make this one softer. Some of those alterations they might make in pen, so they're permanent. Where other 
like me in pencil that they can erase and change. So some of these, some of these uh, epigenetic changes are permanent. So it's quite amazing, actually, that we were able to see these epigenetic changes in children from Project Ice Storm mm. age 13. So this is 13 years after the storm. could mm. mean up to uh, 13 plus 9, mm. you know, 22 years before we actually measured uh, in their blood uh, looking at these epigenetic signals. So this was pretty permanent. So that's what you're saying with the the changing, you know, Beethoven's symphony in, through pen. It, that's what's you're, that's what you're seeing right now in these children whose mothers experience stress uh, during pregnancy. So we we're talking about the environment. So the environment mm. could be the external environment, like pollution or like mm-hmm. noise, things like that. But um, it could also be uh, the internal environment. So for the fetus, their immediate environment is the um, is the uterus and the, mm. the umbilical cord and the mother's physiology. Mm. So, but interestingly, we had absolutely no correlation with the mother's subjective distress and these epigenetic markers. Uh, yeah, only mm. her objective hardship and her cognitive appraisal of the ice storm. So the cognitive appraisal is really the, the key that we have control over because everything else, like you said, it's, it's really, yeah. Now... Let's say somebody's listening to this two, three years down the line, <laughs> um, to this episode, and there they have maybe a, you know a, a three-year-old at that point, and they were pregnant during COVID. Um, if they are seeing changes, what what can? I I guess this is a harder question, but if they're panicking and maybe thinking back and then stressing about everything that happened right now, what we're experiencing, um, are are there things that you do you ever do you ever look at what can be done to help these children or to make changes, positive changes in the children? Or as a parent, do we just know that certain symptoms or certain delays might be linked to it? And you know, what can a parent do at this point? So it it happens relatively frequently that I get. Uh, an email from a parent saying, um, my child is having this kind of behavior problem or this kind mm. of problems at school. Uh, and if I think back, um, this really horrible thing happened to me while I was pregnant. Could that have influenced my child's, is that why my child is having these troubles? And my kind of standard reply is that the kind of research we do really applies to the population. Um, so we would, we actually have a study now where we're looking at all of the health data from uh, Quebec uh, in 1998 from the ice storm and really comparing that to people who were born, kids that were born before and after. Mm-hmm. And, and there we would be able to say, you know, maybe there was a 3% increase in risk for asthma. But we'll never be able to you know, look at a single child point. Asthma and say it's because the mother was pregnant during the ice storm. Um, and so for any given child, we know that the biggest influence on that child is going to be just the genetics, you know, the DNA. Half of it comes from mom, half of it comes from dad. That's a really big influence. Then um, did the mother smoke during the pregnancy? Did she drink? Did you mm-hmm. eat healthy foods, you know? So some of the things that the mother does uh, or eats or uh, happens to her during the pregnancy might bring down the child's potential a little bit. Mm-hmm. But other things might increase the child's uh, potential. So, you know, having good social relationships, uh, eating well, taking the, the pregnancy vitamins, uh, exercising. You know, there are a number of things that women can do to... Um, kind of increase uh, the, the child's ability to reach their potential. Mm-hmm. So the, the genetics, the DNA, seems to set kind of the high and the low bar. And then everything that the, the mom does during the pregnancy and during the childhood can nudge that up or mm-hmm. down a little bit. But um, one will never be able to figure that no. out for, uh, for a given child. You know, I, I think you brought up a really valid point that could be our main take-home message too is that you know if we are experiencing experiencing stress right now because of covid and you are pregnant you know once you have your baby you're in control now of of you know of 
trying to stimulate them and to you know what we talk a lot about here with curious neuron is how much stimulation to provide a child through play you know tummy time as of day one skin to skin to help with brain development as of day one and those are things that we are in control of um so i think that's a really positive note to end this on because there are ways you know to reading to them talking to them when they're infants um that will stimulate those their brain and and get those neurons firing um once they're born Exactly. So, mm. um, you know, some of the things that you've mentioned are exactly what I have on the list. <laughs> so what could a mother do? Mm. So, you know, I often say that, that during the pregnancy, we've got data showing that the, the amount of, of good social support mm. uh, during the pregnancy uh, can buffer the mother from, uh, from the effects of the disaster. Mm and buffer the, the child. Um, and that goes not only to support from uh, the, the woman's partner, um, but also from the caregiver. So our mm. study in Australia actually piggybacked onto a randomized control trial of two forms of prenatal care. One form where there was much more continuity, so the woman would always see the same, uh, the same midwife. Mm -hmm and she knew the other midwives uh, in the same group mm -hmm. that whenever she would go to the hospital, whenever she would go to the clinic, either her primary midwife was there or another midwife that she knew. And the women who were in that uh, group with the continuity of care uh, compared to their, their normal uh, standard care where you mm -hmm. go to the clinic and you get whoever happened to be there that day, Mm. And the same for at the time of the of the birth, um, the women with the continuity of care had significantly less anxiety and depression after these floods, mm. and their children's neurodevelopment was much better uh, than for standard care. So, uh, social support from the from the woman's partner, social support from the uh, the care provider are all really important. Um, exercise. Mm study out of Calgary um, of, of COVID showing that, um, first of all, um, it's not surprising, but um, since COVID, pregnant women are two to three times more anxious and depressed than what this researcher normally sees in, in pregnant women. Wow. But they found that the, the more regular the woman was exercising, the lower was uh, their depression and anxiety. So exercise, wow. absolutely. And, and we know mm. for any kind of yeah. that exercise is, is really good. Mm. And then at the birth, the skin to skin care is really important. Mm. Um, and then uh, we now have data also on the parenting of, of the child and showing that when mothers are more kind of in tune with, with, uh, with the baby, with the child. So that means kind of listening if, if, the, uh, if, if the child is, is tired and doesn't want to play anymore, you know, respecting that. Mm -hmm. not, not kind of um, taking over the play with the child. but oh, Letting them lead? Yeah, letting them. Got it. It's, it's something called scaffolding. Mm-hmm. So where the mom kind of helps the baby but doesn't do for the baby. Yes. Playing together. Um, so we videotaped mothers uh, and babies playing together. How old are the babies? Um, in that study, they were 16 months old. Okay. Mm -hmm. Over a year. And we found that um, the, the more the mothers had this uh, emotional availability mm. uh, to the baby, the, the higher was the baby's IQ and the language, and that it, really this, this kind of good parenting buffered the child from the severity of, uh, of the floods in this case. And mm -hmm. there were families there that lost their homes. Their homes were totally gone. And it, mm. it didn't matter if the, if, the, if the mother was in tune with the baby and respectful of the baby's limitations and limits, mm -hmm. uh, the babies were doing much better. Wow. You know, I, I, that's fascinating to me, especially that continuity of care for the mom 
it's something I never would have thought of. And it's something that we talk a lot about in early childhood, where that continuity of care for a child helps with their brain development, helps create that bond and attachment to a caregiver. Um, and it's so interesting that you are seeing the same thing for women who are pregnant and having that attachment to somebody just makes you feel better. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Wow. Thank you. You know, I, I this was such a fascinating talk with you. I, I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me. Is there something else? I don't know if I, I if there was something else you wanted to mention before we end. Well, I, one of the things that I end my emails with when you contact me is that you'll know what to do. Mm. That if you just just love your child, and mm-hmm. um, if when you see that your child is having difficulties. You'll do whatever needs to be done to get help for that child and to support them. Um, and there's really not much point in kind of thinking back to, you know, where is this from? We'll never know. Yeah. We'll never mm. know where the problem comes from. Any more than we'll know why is this child so brilliant? And why mm. why is this child's smile so <laughs> heartwarming? You know, we can't trace back into their development, you know, where did that come from? So there's not a lot of point in looking at it. But when we are, if a woman is pregnant, there are some things that she can do to kind of bump that child up closer to their maximum potential. Mm-hmm. Just by uh, limiting the, the stress that they can. So uh, pregnancy is maybe not the best time to do a major house move across the country or change jobs, or certainly not to um, to uh, end a relationship with a partner, for example. I mean, that's, yeah. it's just a bad time to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when, when something unavoidable does happen, to try to control one's thinking to be positive, uh, and to do whatever the woman knows she can do to, mm. to um, ease her, her subjective distress, you know. Mm-hmm take baths, go for walks, uh, visit friends on Zoom, mm-hmm. <laughs> social distancing, you know, yes. following all the, the public health directives. So th- there are things we can do, um, but never, ever allow yourself to feel guilty if mm. things uh, don't go as planned. I agree. And I think that phrase of, you know, nurture yourself before you can nurture your child, I think comes to mind with everything you just said now you know as a, as a mom you need to take care of yourself definitely and and reach out if you need help exactly yeah and uh, in canada the the government is is providing um you know online uh, services uh, mental health well yes i'll i'll look it up and i'll uh, i'll have a page for this podcast episode up on my website and i'll i'll look it up thank you thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and i hope we chat again soon You're very welcome and congratulations on the curious neuron it's a thank you website great reason. Thank you so much. Thank you to Dr. King for joining me today. And if you'd like a link to her research studies and some resources, please visit curiouseneuron.com and click on CN podcast at the top of our page. Visit us on, visit us at curiouseneuron.com and on Instagram at curious underscore neuron. Until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.